The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Your appointment to FEMA should be finalized within the week. I've already discussed the matter with the senator. I take it he was agreeable? He didn't really have a choice. Has he been infected? Oh, yes. Most certainly. When I mentioned that we could put him on the priority list for the Ambrosia vaccine, he was so willing it was almost pathetic. This plague, the rioting, is intensifying to the point where we may not be able to contain it. Why contain it? Let it spill over into the schools and churches. Let the bodies pile up in the streets. In the end, they'll beg us to save them. I've received reports of armed attacks on shipments. There's not enough vaccine to go around, and the underclasses are starting to get desperate. Of course they're desperate. They can smell their death, and the sound they'll make rattling their cage will serve as a warning to the rest. Hmm. I hope you're not underestimating the problem. The others may not go as quietly as you think. We've had to endure much, you and I, but soon there will be order again. A new age. Aquinas spoke of the mythical city on the hill. Soon that city will be a reality, and we will be crowned its kings. Not better than kings. Gods. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, August 5th, 2021. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be And I am very pleased to be joined today by our guest, Paul McKeever, a lawyer who has been practicing employment and human rights litigation since 1997 and who also happens to be the leader of the Freedom Party of Ontario. Paul has recently released a Freedom Party position paper entitled Outlaw COVID-19 Vaccination Discrimination Now, which anyone can access directly at www.freedomparty.on.ca. And it's a topic and theme that we'll be discussing right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform, and visit us at justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right social media links and our archive broadcasts. As always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. Hello, Paul, and welcome to the show. Hey, Bob. How are you? Oh, hanging in there like so many others. Yeah, well, this time you're here as a guest because you have been a frequent co-host on the show. And today, representing Ontario's officially registered Freedom Party of Ontario. And I should certainly make it clear for those few of our listeners who still do not know that I myself am the president of Freedom Party and that both of us are executive members of Freedom Party's provincial executive. Yes. So I certainly regret having to kick off our show on a particularly tragic and sad note by announcing the sudden and unexpected passing of another member of our Freedom Party executive late last month, whose name was Ted Harlson. And I mention this because many of our listeners may recognize that name due to his also having been a guest on this show on several occasions and a political activist on behalf of individual freedom, both as an individual 
and working with other individuals and groups. And of course, Ted was a Freedom Party executive member, Brampton South Constituency Association president and candidate for that riding. He's appeared on the show here like at least six or seven times, including in our panel discussions. He brought to our attention many high-profile people, you know, even Sandra Solomon, Ritu Parnabasu, you know, even uh, Yaron Brook, people with the um, Ayn Rand Institute. He's a big fan of Ayn Rand. Yep. He campaigned with Gary McHale on the Caledonia situation and protests. He even went to jail with him. Yeah. So I just wanted to make sure we mentioned that off the top of the show. Ted was a man of principle, courage, conviction, and action, and he will be sorely missed and forever remembered. And our, I think our listeners will understand why by the end of today's broadcast, since Paul, you and I have agreed to give Ted the last word on our topic today. Yes. You still in on that? Oh, yes. So, Paul, what precipitated your release of Freedom Party's position paper about outlawing COVID-19 vaccination discrimination? Was your concern about the vaccinations themselves or about the discrimination or both? Uh, well, in this article, I, I focus primarily on the discrimination itself, not so much whether you've decided to have a, a vaccine or not, or whether you want to call it a vaccine, whether it's effective or not, none of that stuff. None of the arguments about, you know, the science. That's not what this is about. This is about the morality uh, and the law concerning how people ought to treat one another uh, when they're trading with them and dealing with them in the in, you know, in business, in uh, gyms, that kind of thing. I'd seen a lot in, in recent days especially since now the, the government's getting the, the participation numbers they're wanting. A lot of people going for this shot, at least in this jurisdiction. So now that, of course, the discussion switches to, well, I think we're going to need vaccine passports. And if you don't have your shots, you're not going to be allowed into this venue. Or you're not going to be able to trade with this person and et cetera. And so, you know, of course, the major media have their opinion pieces where I think it was just a day before I released this. There was one that said, the time to debate vaccine passports has ended. Now we've got to decide what to do with them. I'm thinking, ended? We've just started. So, of course, they're trying I to just get... Gonna, uh, I was just going to say, what? When when did that debate ha occur? Did I miss it? <laughs> yeah, it's the same as they did for climate change, right? There's no question. The science is in. We don't debate it anymore. And they want to do the same thing with vaccine passports. And I thought, no, you're not going to get away with that. But... The thing is that on middle of the month, so I think it was the 15th of July, the Premier of Ontario, Doug Ford, came out and said, no, we're not going to have a vaccine passport. This is despite the fact that his health minister about a month or two ago said, oh, yes, they're on the way. And I think he sort of finally, you know, stuck his toe in the water and realized that the public were not on, were not on board with that. So he says, no vaccine passport. Well, that sounds good, right? Uh, except that at the same time he's saying no vaccine passport, you have restaurants, you have uh, gyms and etc. all setting out their own rules as to whether or not you'll be able to sit in their restaurant or to be able to trade with them at all, buy things from them, uh, depending on whether or not you've had the vaccine. Not like leave aside whether you can prove it. Okay, that is, that's certainly an issue, but that's not really the issue. The real issue is that they want to be able to discriminate based on whether or not you have had, you know, this so-called vaccination. And the ah, so that's so that's where the discrimination comes in. That's right. It's not the passport's just evidence of whether or not you've you've had done something, but it's not the real issue. The real issue is okay. What's the government going to do if anything when businesses start saying, "Well, you've had the vaccine, therefore I'm not serving you," or "You have not had the vaccine, therefore I'm not serving you." There are examples both ways. 
And yet the government has been utterly silent. You know, they haven't made any response to the sudden number of restaurants and other businesses all announcing that they are or are not going to allow you in based on whether or not you've had this vaccination. I'll give you a couple examples. There was a, a Moonshine Cafe, is what it's called, in Oakville, Ontario. And they announced on their, on their Facebook page that, quote, we'll be requiring proof of vaccination from everyone seated indoors. And within one day, there was such public outrage. They said, oh, we're sorry. We're taking down that policy. We're not going to go ahead with it. And that sounds good, you know, that they were sort of market forces did come into play there. But it's certainly not a guarantee. And the government didn't say anything about, you know, in response to their saying they weren't going to serve people indoors if they were not vaccinated. At the same time, there was uh, another business called the Fearless Boxing Club. And they said they would no longer be accepting people who received the vaccine. So, you know, you see it coming both ways. Now, whether that fellow was just doing it to sort of show that it could be done, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I don't know what his political stance is on things. But it's- well, it's interesting. It's interesting you say that because I've covered many instances of both warnings and the ones that say that you can't come in because of the vaccine. Some of them cite their insurance companies. Right. As part of their reason for saying that. And it, it, yeah, you're right. It goes both ways, doesn't it? Yeah. And in, in fact, one guy in the States is, is really getting a lot of press right now because he said he requires evidence or proof that you have not had <laughs> the vaccine. And everyone's scratching their head saying, well, how do you prove the null? You know, that kind of thing. And he says, if you don't understand it, I pity you. Kind of, That's his position. But if you look at the rest of his position on the on the announcement, he says, we're sick of anti-Americanism and anti-Americans. You're not welcome here. Well, how do you prove that you're uh, not vaccinated? It seems to me that he wants you to prove that you're a real American. So you could probably walk in there wearing red, white, and blue and carrying a flag and he'd seat you right down. Because as far <laughs> as he's concerned, Americans wouldn't take this stuff into their body. So if you're coming in proud of being American, well, you mustn't have had the vaccine. I think that's his logic. And I, he's certainly getting a lot of press. But I think in principle, that kind of behavior would be wrong. I think he thinks it's wrong too. I think he probably thinks it's anti-American to, to discriminate like that. He's trying to make a point. Right. You know, now at the same time that all these businesses are, are, you know, saying we're going to have this policy or that policy and the government's remaining silent. We've got all of those so-called advisory boards to the government saying, oh, we've absolutely got to have vaccines. Experts say it'll, it'll be a short-term economic benefit. Uh, you know, of course they're giving it every spin they can to try and make it sound like it's something good or even pro-economics, which is not. And at the same time, that probably the most outspoken person on the science advisory table for the Ontario government, a guy named David Fisman, he posts the most outrageous, in my view, segregationist tweets, such as this one he posted on July 22nd, quote, I cannot imagine that we're going to let a small and unreasonable minority hold back our economy and trash our healthcare system this fall vaccine passports now, unquote. So we're a small and unreasonable minority who therefore should be forced to, you know, to do what he wants everyone to do. Yeah, this, and- it, right? I mean, okay, well, you, you know, how is that different than saying, well, there's a small and unreasonable minority of people of this skin color or people with that, you know, it, it's, it's exactly the same. And you might say, well, hey, you know, things like skin color, genetics, and that, you don't choose those, but you can choose to have a vaccine. Okay, well, you want to go down that road. Well, do you want to say that, well, you can choose not to have sex in a, you know, with a person in a dangerous way? And therefore, if you end up with AIDS, we can discriminate against you? Yeah, good luck with that one. You know, right. are you going to deny service to everybody who's had a sexually transmitted disease? 
I mean, just look at that, that, that example of the vaccine they were pushing. In fact, I think they made it mandatory for all schoolgirls for cervical cancer to prevent cervical cancer or the kind of infection that can lead to cervical cancer. Uh, are you going to say that, well, if you are a girl who hasn't had that, we're not going to give you service? I mean, that's the kind of d- discrimination that, in my view, is utterly backward and not, not at home in a free society, but that people like David Fisman are promoting. He's saying, well, not I know better than o- you. Sorry? Not only that, you know, I'm very suspicious of all supposed preventative measures in healthcare because the amount of things you could prevent against are infinite, right? Yeah. But the odds of you're getting any one of those infinite conditions is minuscule. So you're taking a huge risk. I think in any case, but taking any vaccine, unless there's a really, really pronounced reason to do it and a proven reason. You're right. I mean, before I went to law school, my work was research in uh, multiple object tracking. And so I had to do a lot of computer programming. And, uh, you know, you get a program working. And someone would say, well, wouldn't it be better if you'd done it with like arranged it this way or put a line in that did this or that or the other thing? And the standard understanding for anyone who programs anything is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, and I take the same position with respect to the human immune system. If it's not broken, why assume you can make it better? But that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to say we can become superhuman, something that we weren't before. We're trying to become a machine that we weren't born as. And anybody who doesn't get on board with changing their body, we're going to discriminate against you. That's the kind of thing that people like Fisman and this this, uh, advisory body to the Ontario government are promoting. Yeah, it's terrifying. Now... Requiring inoculation against disease, should this be a a job for the government? Most definitely not. And there is a very simple answer for it. If it is medically proved that a certain inoculation is in fact practical and desirable, those who want it will take that inoculation. Now, if some people do not see it that way, do not agree, or don't want to take it, only they will be in danger, since all the other people will be inoculated those who do not go along, if they're wrong in this case, will merely catch the disease. They will not be in da- uh, danger to anyone else. And nobody has the right to force them to do anything for their own good against their own judgment. Uh, they will merely be ill then, but they could not infect others. The next question in regard to quarantine is somewhat different because in the state of uh, sense of a quarantine, if someone has a contagious disease against which there is no inoculation, then the government would have the right to require quarantine. What is the principle here? It's to protect those people who are not ill, to protect the people who, uh, to prevent the people who are ill from passing on their illness to others. Here you are dealing with a demonstrable physical damage. Remember that in all issues protecting someone from physical damage, before a government can properly act, there has to be a scientific, objective demonstration of an actual physical danger. If it is demonstrated, then the government can act to protect uh, those who are not yet ill from contacting the disease. In other words, to uh, quarantine the people who are ill is not an interference with their rights. It is merely preventing them from doing physical damage to others.
the free enterprise system will save downtrodden minorities. The market, the free enterprise system, the magic of the market will solve this problem. Suppose I won't allow blacks into my restaurant. Well, some other restaurant owner will allow blacks into there and he'll be able to charge them more and he'll make more profits and knock me out of business. The market has within it the power to overturn these things. Okay, I've done what I was supposed to do, I think. I mentioned what libertarianism is. I applied it to four or five things. Uh, I'm now ready for questions, discussion, dialogue. Do you think racism would, uh, would occur in a libertarian society? I think a lot of isms would occur in a libertarian society. I play chess. Chessism occurs. I like chess people. I don't like people that don't play chess. I open up a business. I say, unless you play chess, you can't come to my restaurant. Do I have a right to do that? Sure. But racism and sexism and uh, other discriminatory behaviors, I think, are part of the human condition, and there's nothing wrong with them. If people want to associate with people that are similar to them, why, shouldn't they, why should they not be allowed to do so? Uh, it's not a, it's not, not be nice, but it's not a violation of, of libertarian law. Libertarian law says just keep your goddamn mitts to yourself. Don't invade, don't grab other people or their property. That's it, you can do anything else you want. Up to and including uh, only marrying someone who plays chess or never marrying someone who plays chess or who is Jewish, black, white, has hair, beard, whatever. That's what freedom is. We have a right to do anything we damn well please except to initiate violence. That's what libertarianism is. And of course, Paul, the voices we just heard on the previous side of the bumper break was Ayn Rand, who, who seemed to have an opinion on every subject you can possibly think <laughs> of on this planet. Yeah. I'm always amazed at what you can dig up. I mean, I mean, she was a commentator on just about every aspect of life, wasn't she? Yes, and, and in fact, she had a column. Uh, you can actually buy a little book. I think it's called The Columns of Ayn Rand or something like that. And, and right. she did more of that there. She also had radio programs at University of Columbia. Uh, it's, it's incredible. The more you dig, the more you find out that she was just active on so many different media fronts. It was incredible. And of course, the last voice we heard was a good friend of ours, Walter Block, who was once the chief economist of the Fraser Institute. And we certainly had a good relationship with him. But I don't know that we totally buy into this whole idea of his um, <laughs> his anarchism, quite frankly, and libertarianism. Right? You know, he called it libertarianism. Yeah. He certainly identifies as a libertarian and, and as an anarchistic uh, one at that. But the thing is, about most libertarians, especially the ones who are, you know, if you want to call them economics nerds, and I, I would say that I've gone through that phase myself of, you know, learning a lot about economics and how free market economics benefits and is necessary in a free society. The, the problem I find is that a lot of people think that if you understand economics, if you understand free markets, you've got everything you need in order to know what government policy should be. In other words, you end up with a situation like the, uh, the anarcho-capitalists uh, have, which is where they say, well, just get government out of it, the market will solve all. But that's the same as saying people will solve their own problems. And I just don't think that there's any evidence that that is true. Yes, to a free market, you have to have that. But it's not as though if you had a free market, you wouldn't need police, you wouldn't need a legislature, you wouldn't need various laws. I mean, that's just uh, 
it's it's i find i find it amazing you know i actually once shared the stage with none other than murray rothbard back in 1983 at the royal york hotel in in toronto and one thing about libertarians is they're great on economics but the one question that every single person who identifies and as an anarchist or libertarian seems to be unable to answer is who's the referee right right how do you where's the referee and they start talking about competing agencies of force yeah, they skip the lawmaking stage and they jump right to the policing as though the yeah. laws are, are a given. And when you, m- most of them anyway, if you say, well, wait a minute, like what are the laws that these police are going to enforce? Usually they'll fall back on things like, look, if the police just defend my life, liberty and property, then everything will be fine. Except that it isn't fine. You, you don't end up with a, a free society if that's all you do. Uh, there are irrational elements that aren't necessarily going to take your life, liberty, and property, and yet they're going to deal with you or, or choose not to deal with you, not because of any decision you make, but because they're really not treating you as a human being at all. And if you have a society in which people are permitted, if you want to put it that way, to mistreat people, to treat them not as human beings, but as some kind of dogs or cattle, uh, I don't see how that can assist in peaceful trade. You know what I mean? You have to have right. an, uh, an environment for a uh, system of free trade and that environment starts with recognizing you know the nature of people and we can get into that in a minute but i think it's probably best to just talk about you know the kinds of things that economists say when you present to them a discrimination situation like the one that we were talking about earlier which is you know you've had the shot therefore i'm not going to serve you or i'm not going to let you indoors or you haven't had the shot and therefore i'm not going to serve you or let you use my facilities that kind of discrimination the economic answer is rather myopic. I mean, what they're going to say is, look, if one business doesn't want to serve the injected or does not want to serve the non-injected, that's their business. Government should not intervene. If one business refuses the non-injected, well, another will pop up and serve that market. And, And really, as I see it, that's no different than arguing like the following. If a business refuses to serve someone of a certain skin color or sex or sexual orientation or gender or disability or religion, etc., another will pop up to serve that market. You know, yeah. so it's it's a view that not it's not intending to be discriminatory, but the economic myopia leaves open and just accepts as a thing that would be accepted in society all kinds of discrimination that's completely irrational. When I say discrimination, I'm talking about that collectivizing of people. Right, where you say you're a member of this group because I've seen the color of your skin or because I know that you like people of the same sex or because you dress like a woman and you're male or whatever it is. Yeah, ident- and, identity politics and identity socialism, yeah. Yeah, and, and well, that's fine. If a person wants to dress a certain way or if they appear a certain way, or, like that has nothing at all to do with the price of tea in Ontario. You know, if a person's got tea bags for sale and you tender the amount they've requested, that's the end of it. A decision's been made. It's mutually beneficial and and everyone is fine. But you can't have a society in which that trade occurs if, let's say, the customers or would-be customers coming in the door are treated as, you know, barnyard animals, both the ones you like and the ones you don't like. You know, you're the sheep and you're the goats and I only like the sheep. Well, why do you only like the sheep? Well, because the sheep are good people. And the sheep always give me the good prices and the sheep never steal my stuff. And the goats? Oh, the goats, you can trust that they're always going to rip me off one way or another. Well, right. why are you calling this person a goat? You haven't, he hasn't even said a word to you yet. You don't know anything about him. And yet you're saying that there are two 
clusters of entities that enter your store and anyone belonging to the one is one you know herd and the other one anyone belonging to the other one they're a different herd and you're going to treat each individual not according to his or her own merits but according to which herd you think he or she belongs to and according to what generalizations you've made about those herds now economics you know doesn't answer that it just says well if, if one guy's being a jerk go to the next guy <laughs> but the problem is there isn't always a next guy and, and my paper goes into a little bit um, of, of why that might be the case take for example you know, right now we've got uh, Twitter and Facebook and all that kind of thing. And so the economics answer is, well, if they're if they're banning your kind of communications, if they're not allowing you to make the kinds of postings that you want to make, just go to another discussion board. And that makes sense, right? Except that I've actually tried to start a discussion board. And I know that that argument doesn't work because people who want to post, who have something to say, they want people to hear it. And they don't just want one person to hear it. They want thousands or millions of people to hear it. So they go to where they can post something and potentially thousands or millions of people will uh, read it. They want to be influential, in other words. And unless you can give people an audience, they can't influence that audience. There's all lots of people setting up discussion boards, but they're all failing miserably because they can't offer people a turnkey audience, right? Right. There, and there are other things. Let's say that you did off, uh, offer up a, uh, let's say, a discussion board and people did want to come and did want to post their messages there. Well, wait a minute, you've got an internet service provider that hosts your site, and maybe they've got a a problem with you allowing messages being posted on your website concerning this, that, or the other thing. And so they say, sorry, we're not going to allow you to host, we're not going to host you anymore. Or maybe your internet service provider says, no, we're good with, you know, a, a lot of different messages, competing messages, you go right ahead. And suddenly, you know, Bell Telephone or whoever's providing the actual physical connections for that internet service company... They, keep in mind, they don't have their own wires, right? They just, they're just a business like anyone else renting wires from someone else and they rent them from the big telecom companies. Well, if the big telecom companies say, wait a minute, you're hosting websites that allow comments that we don't like, either stop that or we're going to cease doing business with you. So this, you can play this game forever, go all the way up the chain until th- there's really no way to just say, okay, uh, people will want this website because... I allow the kind of messages that they want to post. Yes, but they're not your only master. You know, there's your internet service provider and above them, there's the telecom and and then there's the law, you know? Right. There's other issues too. Like not every, every business is as easy to start as a, like a, a website business, right? You know, try starting a cross Canada railroad company <laughs> that allows whatever it is, the kind of passengers. Let's say that the current railroad company, I'll say, uh, the companies all say, well, we're not allowing passengers who haven't been given the jab. All right, you say, I'll start up my own railroad company. Really? Where are you going to put the rails? Do you know what it took to put the rails in in the first place? It took all kinds of legislation and political wrangling, you know, by McDonald to put in the the rails, uh, you know, west to east and and back and forth. It's not something a person could do with any amount of money. There are other barriers. What about a healthcare system that says, you know what, I don't care whether or not you've been given the job, you come here and I'll serve you. Wait a minute, you're in an office building and that office building has its policies. Or you're working out of a hospital and the hospital says, sorry, doctor, uh, either you make your patients tow our line or you can get out of this building. And then you can lay on top of that the fact that the whole system, at least in Ontario, is owned and run effectively by the government, who can then say, any doctor who's on our payroll, of course, they're all on our payroll, any doctor who doesn't do with their patients what we tell them they have to do is not going to be able to, to be paid by the monopoly healthcare system. 
So there's lots and lots of reasons why competitive businesses might not be able to be formed. And then, in other words, there's lots of reasons to believe that discrimination cannot be dealt with by pure competition. I'm not saying competition's bad. You got to have it. But it's not the be-all and end-all. It doesn't solve all problems like the economists no, you, you, tend you to think. Just painted, you just painted an amazing nightmarish picture of thousands of independent little fascists exercising their fascism by virtue of their, their own property rights. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and, and if everybody went off on their own tangent, my God, you could have a, a, a totally chaotic society. That, it just paints a nightmare scenario. Well, and then, of course, you've got chaos and a nightmare scenario, and in comes the government to say, we'll, start, we'll solve the chaos with a vaccine passport, <laughs> right? Yeah. There's, the, there's the solution. Now, all the little discriminatory people can use the passport to aid and assist in their discriminatory practices. Right. You know, they make it look like it's pro-free market, when in reality, all it is is pro-discrimination, pro-segregation, the very kind of thing that people escaped when they left places like Germany or the Soviet Union or Hungary or what, you name it. They tried to get away from being treated differently because they were all, you know, assumed to belong to one class or another. So in short, Bob, I just think that, you know, although free market forces are needed in a, in a free society, they do not solve all problems. So this libertarian idea that you know, all you need to do is have government butt out, that's not going to solve the problem of all these little uh, discriminators uh, treating you like you're some kind of toxic menace just because you've chosen to have or not to have the shot. Excuse me. Am I being fired? Let me put it this way, Andy. Your place in the future of this firm is no longer secure. We feel it isn't fair to keep you here when your prospects are limited. So you were concealing your illness? That's correct. All right, explain this to me like I'm a two-year-old, okay? Because there's an element to this thing I just cannot get through my thick head. Didn't you have an obligation to tell your employer you had this dreaded, deadly, infectious disease? That's not the point. From the day they hired me to the day I was fired, I served my clients consistently, thoroughly, with absolute excellence. If they hadn't fired me, that's what I'd be doing today. And they don't want to fire you for having AIDS, so in spite of your brilliance, they'd make you look incompetent, thus the mysterious lost file. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Correct. I was sabotaged. I have a case. So you got a, you got a relevant precedent? Mm-hmm. The Arline decision. Arline? Supreme Court. The Federal Vocational Rehabilitation Act of 1973 prohibits discrimination against otherwise qualified handicapped persons who are able to perform the duties required by their employment. Although the ruling did not address the specific issue of HIV and AIDS discrimination. Subsequent decisions have held that AIDS is protected as a handicap under law, not only because of the physical limitations it imposes, but because the prejudice surrounding AIDS exacts a social death which precedes... which precedes the actual physical one. 
This is the essence of discrimination. Formulating opinions about others not based on their individual merits, but rather on their membership in a group with assumed characteristics. You are listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And Paul, just briefly in passing, I thought our listeners might be interested in learning that you and I were invited by Ontario MPP Randy Hilliard to join the nonpartisan End the Lockdown Caucus, which is comprised yes. mostly of former elected politicians. And we we agreed to do that a couple months ago. And, you know, I counted, there's about 56 people or so in that caucus. And it includes Derek Sloan, Randy Hillier, Maxime Bernier, and others. And if anybody's interested, they can find the page at www.LibertyCoalitionCanada.com, all one word, no spaces, but then slash end the lockdown caucus with a dash between each of those words in case they're interested in checking that out. Excellent. And lest anyone think that this lockdown caucus is some kind of united political organization, think again. <laughs> Maxime yeah, Bernier, no, I, <laughs> you know, yeah. Ber- Bernier has his People's Party of Canada. Derek Sloan just announced the formation of his True North Federal Party. You and I are affiliated with the Provincial Freedom Party. Randy Hillier sits as an independent MPP. And to say nothing of all the other differing levels of political activity, not so much a political party, but a united effort focused on a single objective, mainly end the lockdowns, which happens to yeah. re- reflect the name of the caucus. I thought it was a good name. <laughs> yeah, good good name, good idea. And I, I've talked with Randy, of course, he called, and, and I talked with him about joining at that point. That's what he why he was calling. And he said, you know, the problem we have is that everybody wants to start their own political party. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> well, wants to be the leader. And I said, well, if they'd only been the leader for a little while, they might rethink that. <laughs> That's funny. He said the same thing to me. But, um, you know, I was just wondering, this whole theme that you're talking about with regards to these vaccine passports, doesn't the same principle apply to the whole masking thing? Stores demanding that you wear a mask when you go in? Yeah, they could they could discriminate on any basis if the government doesn't prevent it. They, for, for example, you know, you could say, well, uh, you know, if you're going to allow me to discriminate against my potential patrons by whether or not they're wearing a mask, maybe I should be free to discriminate based on whether they're wearing headwear that I don't like. Or maybe maybe if a lady's wearing um, a niqab, maybe I'll just say, well, I'm sorry, get out of my building, uh, you're wearing a niqab. I mean, where does it start? Where does it end? And what's the principal difference? There isn't really one. Well, it's interesting because, you know, my daughter, Danielle, uh, she contacted the Middlesex Health Unit here in our area about who can be refused and what private businesses can do. And she went through a whole list of things, just like you did. Can a business refuse someone because of the color of their skin? Can they do it for this? And they kept saying no and no and no. And then it came down to what about people who are masked? Oh, yeah, they can discriminate against them. And then she tried to point out the wild inconsistency in that, and she got hung up on. Yeah, yeah, because they they don't really have an answer, and they realize on some level, it doesn't compute, right? I mean, Tell me we should just it. look at this, though. You know, this is what the economists sort of miss. We were talking about the economists. Right. The law, I mean, the, the point of the law is to, it's a law of human beings by human beings who should be treating one another as human beings. So then you say, okay, well, what, what makes someone a human being? Is it that they've had a shot or not had a shot or that they wear a mask? Or, no. What makes us all the same 
regardless of our skin color, whether we're able-bodied or not, sexual orientation, gender, you name it, what we all have in common is that we are the, what Aristotle called the rational animal, right? We have a, a, a capacity to reason, and that's what we use to make choices for ourselves when we decide whether to pay this amount for a coffee or that amount for a coffee, when we decide whether to go to that coffee shop or the other coffee shop. The rational faculty is our mode of existence, our mode of continuing to live. We can't live by not thinking unless we're, you know, in the hospital on one of those um, ventilators. Well, so the no, point no, matter, no matter how you look at it, if you're not thinking for yourself to survive, then someone else has to do the thinking for you. And will. They'll be only too happy to. Right. And, and of course, this is the problem. You know, so you say to yourself, okay, we're dealing with rational animals. What do rational animals have to do? Well, there's no way that we can live as we do without trading. So we have to trade. Well, what do you need in order to trade? You need to have consent. How do you get consent? You think about it. You decide, do I want to give him what I've got in exchange for what he wants from me? Do I want to take so many dollars for this thing that I'm selling and vice versa? And once the parties both consent to the trade, that means they've both used their capacity to reason. They've both acted like human beings. They've acted in their human capacity and they've come up with a deal and that's a trade. And it's something you don't see cows do and it's something you don't see ants do or any other entity that doesn't have that rational faculty. That's what government is supposed to be protecting, right? That we are treated by one another as human beings. Right. And what when, when we say, well, no, I'm not treating you according to the fact that you've got a rational faculty. I'm treating you as one of the herd that has been injected or as one of the herd that has not been injected. Well, then you're not taking into account what I have to think at all. You don't know if I'm a, if I'm a rogue or a very good person, angel or a devil. You, I, I might be a thief, but I might be the person who makes sure that no one steals anything from your store. You don't know anything about me. And to prejudge me based on things that don't relate to the fact that I'm simply a, a human being uh, able to make decisions for himself and that I have a record of conduct that you may or may not know about. If you don't know that I've a history of, let's say, thievery, you don't get to say, well, yeah, well, I don't know what, whether you've stolen anything, but I can see the color of your skin and therefore, or I can see how you dress and therefore, or I can see that you like people of the same sex and therefore... You know, all of these collectivist styles of decision-making dehumanize you. They say, I'm not going to look at what you might, you might personally have done or thought or said in the past. I'm going to just say, you fall into that class, you're a member of that collective, and I have all kinds of beliefs about collectives, and those are the beliefs upon which I'm going to base my decision about whether or not to allow you to sit in my restaurant. That, to me, is not only stupid, it's, it's immoral, you know? The, the whole purpose of, of morality is to give you a way to survive and to pursue your own happiness. You can't survive if you treat other human beings as cattle, if you collectivize them. And when you do that, you're actually taking away from yourself, deciding not to use your own rational faculty. So not only are you ignoring you know, the rational faculty of everyone who's been injected and that of everyone who hasn't been injected, but you're also choosing to think like a boor, not like a, a human being. So reasons going out the window. And I think that's the problem there uh, that has to be addressed by government that can't be addressed just by saying, well, go to a different store where the guy's not an idiot. Yeah, because then you have to know which store the guy isn't an idiot at. You even have to be able to deduce that before you go somewhere. You know, what do you do? Phone ahead? <laughs> yeah. Are, are you an idiot? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, basically some, anyone who's... Or yeah, some version I mean, of that, right? <laughs> 
Yeah, if, you, if they're posting a sign on their door saying, we're not going to serve you if you've been injected or if you haven't been injected, you already know that's a person who puts people into into these cubby holes and prejudges them. He's prejudicial. And he's de-individualizing you. He's saying, you're not an individual. You're just a, a part of that bowl of jelly that I call injected stuff. And that other bowl of jelly is called, you know, not injected stuff. You're not an individual. You're just part of this glop. And, you know, he's not just de-individualizing, he's dehumanizing you. Why? Because the thing that makes you human is that rational faculty, that power to decide. So to de-individualize is literally to dehumanize not only the people he's coming to his store, but himself. You know, I, I had a strange thought about this. You know, a lot of the store owners who are doing these kinds of decisions are doing so out of some kind of fear of reprisal from the government or fear of liability. And I find it more than ironic that vaccine producers have been immunized from legal liability. Oh, yeah. You know, and that they're going around and they can put jabs into people without their informed consent. So, wouldn't the quick legal response to this just immunize store owners from any legal liability for the health concerns of their customers? I mean, if society's content to give selected industries total immunity from any harm their products cause, why not just give everybody immunity from their actions and solve a hundred problems with one solution? Is that am I am I going off the rail here? <laughs> well, no, but, but there's a danger in that because that that's exactly what the economists might say, right? He's immune from the discrimination that he he, he engages in, for yeah. example. Yeah, I see right? what you're saying, yeah. I would rather they get rid of these immunities and say, everybody who does anything in this society and who harms someone, you know, who takes their life, liberty, or property without their consent, has to pay the piper. Right. You know, you'll find yourself in court. And I don't care whether you make much-needed medicines or whether you take them or require... Look... Treat everybody like a, a, an individual reasoning human being or be prepared to face the consequences. I hear you. Someone has given you a completely false impression of us. All have found here in Canada the security, peace and tolerance and understanding which in Europe it is your furious pride to have stamped out. You call us Germans. You call us brothers. Yes, most of us are Germans. But we are not your brothers. Our children grow up against new backgrounds, new horizons. And they are free. Free to grow up as children, free to run and to laugh without being forced into uniforms. You talk about a new order in Europe. The new order, where there will not be one corner, not a hole big enough for a mouse, where a decent man can breathe freely. You and your Hitlerism are like the microbes of some filthy disease, filled with a longing to multiply yourselves until you destroy everything healthy in the world.
these mutants respond? Here's what I think. This is about getting organized, bringing our complaints to the right people. We need to put together a committee and talk to the government. People, you must listen. They won't take us seriously. They want to exterminate us. This cure is voluntary. Nobody's talking about extermination. No one ever talks about it. They just do it. And you go on with your lives, ignoring the signs all around you. And then one day when the air is still and the night has fallen, they come for you. Excuse me. It's only then but... you realize what you're talking about organizing and committees. The extermination has already begun. Make no mistake, my brothers. They will force their cure upon us. You know, Bob, uh, people might uh, turn this around and try to say that, well, wait a minute, if you're all about, you know, defending people's life, liberty and property, making sure that you always have your their consent, aren't you violating their life, liberty or property when you come in without a mask on or when you come in without a, a vaccination or what have you? And, you know, that I, I've seen that kind of argument, but you can file those all under nice try. If you do just a, this tiniest amount of research, you'll find the most shockingly disgusting things about human beings. I found one quote here from a December 2020 Scientific American issue that said, quote, biologists estimate that 380 trillion viruses are living on and inside your body right now, 10 times the number of bacteria. Some can cause illness, but many simply coexist with you. That's not a typo, by the way. That's that's trillions of of viruses living basically in harmony with you or sometimes oh, I, making uh, you sick. Yeah, I, I know that's not an exaggeration. I've been meaning to do a show on this. I've, I've watched a lot of interesting medical shows that go beyond this whole topic. Uh, I saw some people commenting on how these viruses are absolutely essential to our survival. Right. If you took every virus and every bacteria out of your body, you'd probably be dead in an hour. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the idea that by, you know, entering a room and passing one of your, you know, so many trillions of, of viruses to someone else or one of your bacterial agents to someone else, that that constitutes a violation of someone's life, liberty or property is just nuts. You know, to, not, to only, be, not, not, not only that, there's the opposite argument that's saying that that is absolutely necessary, that intermingling to build everyone's immune system. And a lot of people are speculating that's one of the reasons they don't want us to mingle. They don't want us to be immune to this nightmarish thing that they're spreading around. Well, quite so. And, and that's why when you go to Africa, you end up having to take all kinds of shots because otherwise you'd probably die. I mean, there's yeah. all kinds of new bugs that you're going to be exposed to when you're in a new land. And that's just on this planet. I mean, if you talk about, we've had movies like, uh, you know, what got the aliens in that uh, War of the Worlds? Well, biological agents got them you know they got exposed right. to our environment and they died and, they, and of course they would they have no exposure their immune systems haven't built up to deal with those particular viruses and bacterial agents you know the idea of locking a person away from them so that they won't be exposed to them you're not doing them any favors at all you're just making sure that when they do get exposed it's going to hit them all the harder because they are that much less prepared I mean, to exactly. be human is to be infected all the time, Bob, and, and to spread infections all the time. But it's also to have an immune system that deals with those trillions of infections so that you don't get sick, you know, and that, and that immune system develops over time 
as we keep keep getting exposed to these various viruses and bacteria uh, bacteria yeah so this notion that well you're violating a person's life liberty and property so therefore mckeever your argument doesn't work everybody should have to have the jab so that they don't violate a person's life liberty or property that's just nuts well they might say well okay okay but not all viruses are the same some of them as you just said are harmless but this one the sars cov2 virus well it's very different it's you know spreads easier and it's it's more likely to cause a person to be sick and the right answer to that bob is so right i mean yeah, what the even 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 if it was true which we of course know it is not right right yeah uh, and, and by the way, this Delta variant, I just read this morning, It the symptoms include runny nose, sniffles. I mean, <laughs> one guy one guy says, oh, so the cure is NyQuil, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, right. But but basically what they're saying, when they say, well, because this thing, this, this particular virus is maybe worse than some other one, they're saying that even though you can't avoid having it because you're a human being, you're a thing that's riddled with viruses and bacteria, that that makes you guilty from the outset, that you start in a state of ungrace or that in a, in a state of original sin, and that you have to continually make up for that by jabbing and masking and doing everything else because you are just a filthy entity. You know, that is, again, a form of dehumanization. It's, it's saying that humans aren't things that have viruses and that have carry bacteria. Yes, they are. What planet are you living on if you don't understand that? This is just another form of dehumanization. And worse, it's this holding of everyone to this idea of original sin. And who's the God in this scenario? Oh, the government and all those advisors who say, well, here's here are the ways in which you're going to have to continually make up for the having been born in sin, having been born human, having been born riddled with infections. Right. Just because someone is more susceptible, say, than another person, it doesn't mean we quit being human. There's all kinds of foods we eat that some people won't eat for religious reasons. Does that mean we should ban them because, you know, or you shouldn't eat uh, anything of the of the cloven hoof or you should never have meat on Fridays because, you know, traditional Catholics don't eat meat on Fridays? I mean, why, what has that got to do with anything? That's a decision they've made. You can make your own decision. What about people who don't know how to swim? Does that mean we have to stop allowing people to build pools or, you know, build fences around all the lakes because someone might drown? No, there's a personal responsibility to learn to swim or to risk drowning. That does not mean you get to shut everybody else out of the activity. What about blindness? You know, you can't cross the street without some kind of assistance, whether that be a, a beeper or a, a guide dog or whatever. Does that mean we're, we should just be banning cars and banning all kinds of transportation so that you won't get hit? Of course not. We don't do that. And likewise, if there are people who are immunocompromised and who react more severely to viruses or bacteria, that doesn't imply that if you're dancing or singing or playing a trumpet or lifting weights or laughing or chatting, you're somehow violating their life, liberty, or property. You're not sinning. You're just being yourself. And that person has an unfortunate medical condition, but it is not something that gives them a right then to stop you from living your life. And that is the position that these... Um, collectivists these discriminators are, are taking. The non-injected are not dehumanizing anyone any more than the injected are. They're just living human lives yeah. as human beings and infected and, and self uh, making decisions for themselves with their own rational faculty. So to my mind, there's no excuse at this point for the Ford government or any other government to just sit back and let you know businesses and other facilities decide for themselves 
who to dehumanize, how to dehumanize them, how to discriminate against them. If, if they're facing not a, an immunity from their conduct, but rather a penalty, I think they'll quickly feel actually relieved at that. At least they have some guidance. Now they can't be blamed by the so-called Karen for allowing someone into their store who isn't masked or who doesn't have a shot or whatever. Karen, at that point, can be told that, well, I'm sorry, but the law doesn't allow me to discriminate. And if you don't like that, if you want to discriminate, there's the door, Karen. Exactly. They should be self-discriminating. Right. <laughs> you know, Bob, I, I want to say, and you, you did touch on it at the beginning of the program, you're talking about Ted. And, uh, you know, I have to say that fella, you know, I, I met him online. I, th I think I introduced him to the party. And I was one, along with you, it was one of the main people pushing for his acceptance as an officer of the party. He really knew his stuff, in my view. He was a si simple-spoken fellow, but you, his knowledge of, of, you know, rational philosophy was there. He spoke to people, though, on a, on a human level, like on a normal guy level. And it made him very personable. But also, I, I've never met anybody who was such a self-starter and such a hard worker. This guy had two weeks of vacation just before he passed away. And he took that vacation time, the entire vacation, and did a cross-Ontario freedom tour. He didn't ask for permission. He didn't ask for money. He didn't ask, he didn't say, well, Paul or Freedom Party or whatever, you've got to do this for me or you've got to do that for me. He went out there, having printed his own pamphlets, brought his own signs, brought his own video camera, took to the road and just became a one-man power show for freedom. And I, I, I'm going to miss him. I think Ontario will miss him. And he's the, he's the uh, freedom fighter that um, one of the best ones we'll never know in many cases. Yeah, and he certainly was addressing this issue. And with our time now running out, we did promise to give him the final word. And I think, uh, I have a feeling that after our listeners hear what Ted has to say, they too will come to appreciate the magnitude of the loss to all freedom-loving people everywhere. Hello, Brampton South. This is Ted Harrelson. Today is January seventh, twenty twenty-one, and I want to show you. I want to show you downtown. One of the most ghastly scenes are people who are by themselves wearing a mask outside. No one around. To me, that's absolutely insane. You see this empty field? It's barren. It's yielding nothing right now. I take this as a, as a picture of Ontario's economy. The province and the federal governments are literally killing people through their homicidal decision-making in prolonging this pandemic. Normal, normal pande pandemics spread around the globe. How long does it take? Six to eight months? It's done, forgotten. But because of the decision-making of this homicidal government, namely the PC government, which by the way has brought in more socialism in this province than any other political party that I know of, It's destroying the very retail sector, the small business and merchant sector in downtown Brampton. And this is just the beginning. They should write a book, all of them, these politicians, how to destroy the economy in 
one minute or less. This lockdown is truly fascist. And the worst part of it is, it's turning you people into little fascists. Where you will not be permitted to live by rights or with an open government that's accountable, but you will be living by permission. And you in turn will not allow people to be free, but you will uh, make them live the same way as you do, by permission. You know, in the Soviet Union, they had a society of command, which means permission. They didn't have a free society of open markets, open people, open and honest. But even, even the little doorman had such authority and they could tell on you, oh, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong, you're not wearing a mask. You're not a great, perfect un uh, Soviet Union citizen. Therefore, you were ostracized. Well, all you have to do is put here in this empty field, turn it into a graveyard. All you will see is headstones. And that's what the great United Soviet Socialist Republic turned into, a mass graveyard. Well, will you allow your governments to turn Ontario into a vast graveyard of empty empty lives, empty values, empty hopes, empty dreams. Well, let's hope not. I don't want to end on a sad note, so I'll um, add a little bit of humor. I don't know if you know it, but Doug Ford has will be mandating a new legislation. He's found a new way to uh, strengthen our immune system. Cold water strengthens the body's immune system. It's an old ancient um, remedy, so He'll be making legislation in, uh, this summer to, um, for everybody to, at least once a month, go jump in the lake, Lake Ontario. Uh, will you comply? <laughs> will you do it? Let's see. Yes, we will, Ted. And Paul and I only wish that you could be here with us so that we could all find out together. We'll miss you and remember you always. And there's not much I can add to that other than to also wish that we'll all still be together with our listeners everywhere after they join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be I forgot to wear my mask the other day and uh, I walked into a Whole Foods. Holy shit, you guys. Uh, I think I accidentally discovered what it's like to be black in America. <laughs> Just walking around, minding my own business. People are following me and looking at me. Going, Call the police, he's gonna kill somebody. <laughs> I think racism and coronavirus have a lot in common, right? Some of us only have a little bit of it. Uh, you can give it to other people without knowing it and uh, your grandma will probably die with it. Uh, so that's... <laughs>